Thank you, Steve. And it's good to be with you all today in worship. Um, I hope you can all hear me. If you can, you can give me a thumbs up. Um, I am juggling having my, my scriptures all written out for the day on my computer screen. I want to be able to see you too. So just going to get that up, set up right here really quickly. And then um, as I set this up, I do have some really joyous news to share with you all. I got a text uh, this week, and some of you may remember from our Easter services that we prayed for a little boy named Kaikane and his mom, whose name is Casey. And Kaikane uh, has a kind of um, kidney cancer, I think Wilms tumor. And um, the good news is that he has just been declared no evidence of disease. I just want to say thank you to God for um, yeah, for this wonderful event in this family's life. Uh, he's doing really well, and we're celebrating that. We're celebrating that they get to have this celebration together, right? This this good news, this good milestone. And yeah, thanks to all of you for praying and continue to carry this carrying this family in your heart because um, no evidence of disease is wonderful. There's still a lot uh, to go through and still a lot of hurdles for the family. So. Thank you for praying, but we want to celebrate the good things when they come up, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> um, another thing I want to celebrate. Um, so earlier this month, Sam and I celebrated a special day to the two of us, and it was our 20th anniversary of we got married of when we got married. Yes, we celebrated our 20th. Yay. And um, this is a picture not of our wedding day. Actually, I should have found like a flashback. That would have been great. Here's a picture, Dan and I. We were out on the town in Kaimi Key on our wedding anniversary. And here we are drinking a sharing a shot of espresso. <laughs> and it was really fun. And um, as we celebrated 20 years together, we realized this is a really important milestone. And it was a great time for us to look forward, but also for us to look back. As we look back over 20 years, we really just saw a whole spectrum of life to look back on. Whether it was moving, there's um, navigating all this unexpected um, hardship or hardship in our lives, as we care gave for Dan's dad, as we went through our own son's cancer journey, we navigated everything from grad schools and searching for a home and new jobs and um, you name it. So many highs and lows and this was a, a time where we just turned to each other as we were having dinner in Kaimaki and we just said, you know, this is a milestone. We're taking notice, we're paying attention to this moment. We've been through a lot together. We've been through many significant changes and stages of development and we're just pausing to take notice of it. I think that each one of us, whether you're a kid or an adult, whether you're single or in a partnership, each of us have our own moments in our lives, whatever they might be, that make us stop and say, wow, something's happened. I need to reflect and take notice of it. Some of you are going back to school in a couple of weeks. Um, and whether you're going back to fifth grade or in your fifth year of grad school, a new school year can be a great opportunity, can be a milestone to take time to look forward and look back. And today, as we continue our worship series um, on transitions called Between, we're going to be looking at a portion of Exodus 17. And before we read it together, I just want to give you some context for what we're about to read. Sometimes uh, when we think of the Israelites sojourning in the desert, right, they're freed from Pharaoh's slavery, they're freed from repression, we can just imagine a lot of wandering and winding and circling back on themselves, right? We, we can tell that the desert wasn't that big, we can tell from maps, and the ancestral land they were returning to, it wasn't that far away. So we can kind of envision it as a lot of circling and winding around. 
But our Jewish siblings who've spent a lot of time in these texts, more time than we have, they've actually found a lot of structure and sort of meaningful um, structure in their in their own story and in, in what can look like just wandering to us. And over the millennia, Jewish interpreters have compiled together different segments of scripture, and they read it at different points in their worship each year. So the last few weeks here at Wellspring, as we made our way through different places in Exodus, we've actually been following the segment of Hebrew scriptures known as Parashah Veshalach, and it's read every Passover. It goes from the end of Exodus 13 through the end of Exodus 17, where our story comes from today. And why do we tell you this as we get ready to read our text? It's because Parashah Veshalach is a milestone reading. It marks something important. It brings together all the different ways their community experienced God while they were in their own huge time of transition between Egypt and their ancestral promised land, between life as they had always known it and the future that was still unshaped and unformed but full of promise. Parashah Beshalach includes striking stories of God's miracles. Such great stories there. Splitting of the Red Sea, the descent of manna, victory over those who attacked them without cause, water from the rock, which we're about to read. As I read the story that has given so many different groups of people over so many years, pause and reflection and challenge, I invite you to pay attention to the questions asked in it. So if you're watching today and you're a kid, what are the questions they're asking? Help us pay attention to the questions. I think it's especially important as we here at Wellspring are in our own time of transition, right? We are in our own between with our own set of questions. So with that, let's get right into the text. And Karen's going to share that on the screen for us from Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set off from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? The people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massah and Merivah because the Israelites quarreled because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, before we look at the questions the Israelites ask, I have a question for you. What feels more important than water? What feels more important than water? More essential to life? It's hard to think of something that's more immediately needful than water, isn't it? Wait, you can go for food, go without food for a while. Right? You can go without sleep for a while, right before you die. You need air. That's true. You need air right away. Uh, and yet water, there's really no life without water. I, I read somewhere that the average person can go something like three days or 100 hours without water uh, before they die. But if it's really hot or if you've been exerting yourself, that hot, that 100 hours could shrink to like six or seven hours. So I just want you to imagine what it might have felt like for the Israelites to finish a long 
o'clock. It's a hot summer day. They're guessing with their calendar, it might've been around June. They've been walking with their kapuna, their keiki, their herds of sheep, goats, camels, only to suddenly discover that the place that God has led them to camp has no drinkable water. It's a really junk feeling, isn't it? One might argue, well, they should have known that God would provide for them, right? In the last few months, they've been freed from slavery. They've escaped Pharaoh's army as the Red Sea parted for them. They had their fill of meat when they were um, hungry for it. God is giving them manna every day to harvest off the ground and cook with. What more could they want? Well, I'll tell you what they could want. They'd want drinkable water. (laughs) They would want water. Not such a huge ask, is it? We can look at their question to Moses in verse three as sort of a hyperbole. They ask, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? But for them, it wasn't an exaggeration. They really felt like they were on the brink of death, or animals dragging, children crying. No wonder their question, is the Lord among us or not? Can you think of a time you really needed something so badly? felt like your life wouldn't be the same without it. Or maybe even like your life couldn't go on without it. Maybe it was something physical. Maybe you needed a medical procedure to survive. Maybe it was as simple as a blood transfusion or as complex as open heart surgery. Maybe you didn't need something physical to survive, but you needed something in your soul in order to go on. Perhaps you needed to be seen, valued shown as being right. Perhaps you really needed to feel respected for the first time in a while or ever. Maybe you needed to feel free to be authentically you. Maybe you were in a situation that you were desperately needing some support, some security, some resources. Perhaps you were so badly exhausted that you were crying out for a break. Maybe someone you loved was sick or dying and needed them to be well. It's often in our times of deepest need that our deepest questions come out, isn't it? I'm wondering if you might remember some of those questions you've asked God. As we allow those to bubble up to the surface, uh, we're just going to have on the screen the the two interchanges that we see in the text. There's sort of two um, different categories of questions. There's the questions they ask each other, and there's the questions they ask God. We can pull up on the screen the, the questions they ask each other. They don't seem to really go much of anywhere. Moses to the Israelites says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Love how he's kind of like interchanging himself and God there. <laughs> they're all thirsty, right? They've kind of lost perspective. And the Israelites to Moses, they're like, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and animals die of thirst? You know, clearly you had ulterior motives here. You're not about our freedom. You actually just want to die. You want us to die of thirst. Right? They're kind of like going back and forth. And um, some commentators, I read this past week, they said that the Hebrew language used here helps us understand that the Israelites are talking to Moses almost as if they were bringing a lawsuit against Moses in court. Almost as if they're saying, Moses, you are failing at your task of taking care of us. If we could, we would sue you and win. <laughs> as they get sicker, right, their complaint gets more pointed. Did you bring us here to kill us? In fact, the text tells us they get so angry Moses is worried they will kill him by throwing stones. Sometimes when we're stuck, 
our questions and dialogue with each other can help us understand where the other person's coming from. Sometimes they can help us get untangled and find new ways forward. But sometimes there are situations where our questions just aren't helpful. You can see in their questions, they're each being demanding and accusatory, right? And they're dehydrated, exhausted, depleted state of being. These questions don't allow much space to be heard or for transformation. But their questions to God open up space for God to respond. Moses asked the question, what am I to do with these people? The Israelites ask, is God with us or not? Asking these questions to God. And in response to these questions, uh, God tells Moses to take a bunch of the leaders of their people, some elders, go stand in front of the people. And this is in the, the Mount Horeb. This is the same mountain where Moses saw that, that brush, that um, bush that was burning but not consumed, where he was able to be um, hear from God. God's own name. He was able to understand a little bit of who this God is who wanted freedom for God's people, right? God said, go back to Egypt and tell them, I've seen their, their pain. I've heard their cries. I'm doing something about it, right? This is the same mountain, right? God tells Moses to go stand in front of the people, right? Um, go stand in front of the mountain and take the staff with him. And this is the same staff that he had hit the Nile with. Now, earlier, um, when Pharaoh was being really hard-hearted, um, God was actually able to use Pharaoh's hard-heartedness in order to get him to a point where he would let the children of Israel go. And that staff was the same staff that had like hit the Nile. And that, that's what had caused the river to become a river of blood. And instead of it being fresh water, suddenly it was water they could not drink from. And it was one of the signs that God used to be able to show Pharaoh, hey, I have power. I know you think you're the most powerful being in the world, but... I actually, that, that's my that's my seat you're sitting in, and I need you to let my people go. So it's it's a rod of justice. It's a staff of justice. And it, Moses is supposed to take that staff, that staff of justice, and hit the rock with it. And this is an interesting statement God says. God says this, I'll stand before you. Kind of the picture of a person who's being tried for a crime, how they might stand up in court. Or perhaps a person that's facing an accusing mob, trying to calm them down. The attempted lynching, might, someone might stand up in front of them and say, brothers, don't do this. In this passage for today, God chooses to stand before the people. You're wondering if I'm with you, about to stone Moses? Here I am. Hit this rock instead. And friends, they did exactly as God said. Moses hit the rock on a mountain and water flowed from the rock and it kept them hydrated through the next phase of their journey. Many years later, we find out from the Apostle Paul, who's writing to the church in Corinth, this is in 1 Corinthians 10, if you ever want to read it, that the rock wasn't just a rock, but the rock was Christ. Christ who accompanied them through the worst of the worst. Christ who took the brunt of their pain and anger. And just as the rock was struck to produce water, so Christ would be struck on the cross. His blood poured out like water. Remember that passage in scripture where Jesus says, I am living water. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. We have a wonderful picture of that right here. Friends, as we come to Christ in our own times of transition and our own betweens in life, we can experience Christ as the one who takes the hit for us, who takes the blame, who is the scapegoat 
who bears the weight of our pain, of our accusations, of our sadness, and of the unjust things of life. Because friends, I know that um, many of you have experienced life uh, sometimes as difficult, right? Sometimes we have wonderful blessings and we can thank God for them, or things that go really well. Uh, but sometimes life can be really hard, can be really unfair. And some of you have felt it more, more strongly than others. Sometimes the changes and the transitions we go through, they don't go as smoothly as we like. Maybe things are harder at work or with your latest project you're working on, or maybe even with your children or your grandchildren than you thought they'd be. Maybe you're looking at attending another year of school and you're tired, or maybe a little worried that you might be bullied. Maybe you're wondering how you're gonna pay for everything with all the rising costs of everything. Maybe you're feeling misunderstood and lonely. Whatever the landscape you're in, whatever feels unyielding or dry, or you know the resources you're looking for, they're not easy to come by. Friends, even in that space, now like then, God stands before you, before us, ready to take the hit, ready to provide. Question I have for us today is this, on what unyielding landscape is God standing in our midst? Kids, in what surprising place might God be right there in front of you? Here in Hawaii, as we continue just to be in a water crisis, um, as we continue to pray for the Red Hill jet fuel storage tanks to be safely defueled and for our aquifers to be protected from further leaks and contaminants, a question for us might be how, how might God want to show up even in that as the wellspring of life? How might God want to be providing for us on our island's needs, our physical needs, yes, and every other need we have too, needs in our soul, our spirit, our mind. Now, our Bible story for today, on one hand, it seems to end happily. Like everyone gets their fill of water. God shows up in answer to their questions. But the way the scripture is structured tells us there's more to the story. At the end of the day, they don't name the place God who provides or wellspring of life shows up. They don't even name the place water from the rock. No, they name that place Merivah, which means strife or contention. They name it Massah, which means temptation or test. For thousands of years, these texts have been held up as a remembrance, not necessarily of God's provision, but of human failing. The exact reason why might have been lost in the span of history's years, but we do have a hint of the reason why in Psalm 95, seven on. In Psalm 95, seven on says this, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Friends, somehow after this miracle, right, after God reveals God's self as the one who provides, the one who takes the hit, the end result wasn't softened souls and wills and hearts to God. That thirsty day, there was some kind of hardening inside as they grabbed their jars and filled them up and went back to their tents to make dinner. There's this picture that I found. Uh, it's on top of one of uh, a chapel in Italy. And um, Karen has that picture to show for us. Um, I believe the artist's name is, uh, is it Tintoretto? And it's a very like, you can just imagine standing underneath this and seeing this in front of you. Moses is hitting the side of the mountain and there's all this water pouring out and you see sort of um, 
God up there sort of surrounding it. And then you also see all the people just reaching out. And there's so much action in this um, and movement and energy in this. You could just see them pushing each other out of the way to get water and everyone's so thirsty. And that day, instead of that being a day of celebration, it was a day of partying. And that makes me want to reflect on my own self, reflect on the, my own experience I've had of God's provision. I'm not sure what the internal hardening looked like for each of them as they went back to their tents to make dinner. I don't know whether if it was the relief and reassurance in God's presence, maybe it, there wasn't enough to sort of sink deep into their souls. Maybe they were such in a panic that it was hard for them to take it seriously. I don't know whether they dug into self-reliance, as I know I often do, or if they um, became cynical. Maybe there was unaddressed anger that turned into contempt. Whatever it was, the psalmist warns all of his hearers against walking away too soon from God's provision, from God's sacrifice, and from God's hidden presence in pain. So I want to invite us now in this sacred space to bring your questions to God. Kids, if there's something you'd like to bring with God, you can pray in your mind if you want, or you can grab a grown-up who's around you to help you find the words if you're still coming up with a question. Or maybe you can help the grown-up with you find their words too. Perhaps God will answer over the weeks, years ahead. Maybe God will answer your particular question. Perhaps God has a question for you in response or something for you to do. As God wanted Moses to stand in front of the mountain and hit it. Perhaps the only answer you will hear might be the sound of a staff hitting a rock. It will be a rock that is struck. Perhaps the only presence you see, a wounded healer standing in front of you to listen and provide. Will our souls be open to whatever response is given? Let's take a moment of silence now to let those questions bubble up within us. And then I'll pray. Wounded healer, rock that was struck for us, by us. Please reveal to each one of us any unhealed hurts or wounds within us that are impacting our full receptivity to your love and to your life that you offer us freely at every moment. For our own part, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your kindness, forgive us and help our souls to be open to you, to others, in ways that bring life. Pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us strength to walk with you in the ups and downs of life and receive your provision with a grateful heart. Well, spring of life, we thank you for your healing, for your provision for us and the whole world, in the worst of times and in life's uncertainties. We ask all our prayers, those spoken and those unspoken, the ones that we are still formulating in our hearts, the ones we're not sure we can even pray to you. We hold all those prayers now and offer them up to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So friends, um, before we go into our sending song today, before Steve leads us into that, before we go into our benediction, um, I do want to give you a heads up for next week, and Pastor Cheryl mentioned this earlier. 
but to help create soft hearts in us and give us space to ask questions of God together and see God together. Maybe see God standing in front of us, um, providing and sustaining. We're going to be making space over this next two months together. As Pastor Cheryl said, we're calling it Breaking Bread. And we'll try to include the bread portion. Otherwise, you're going to think that it's going to be a TV show watching Breaking Bad. No, we are Breaking Bread. Um, and we're going to be meeting um, over the next two months, finding times to be able to eat and drink together and be able to um, listen to God. We'll have different activities to do together. And um, next week is our first Breaking Bread Sunday. We'll be meeting in person, having communion together in the new space at 930. So um hope to see you there and if you'd like to organize any food portion for any breaking bread sunday uh, just reach out to pastor cheryl myself we're looking forward to being on this journey of trust with you